our summer series to a close. We have been on the Sermon on the Mount since the start of May, and today is the final message in this series. And we've been looking at this and kind of just slowly walking through Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and so today we're going to bring it to a close. Just give you a little bit of insight into where we're going. Next week's a very special Sunday. We would really encourage you, if at all possible, to be here and bring someone with you. We're going to have donuts before both services. Praise the Lord for donuts, right? Amen. That's right. Um, but also, what's really special about it is it's our Bible presentation Sunday. So those who are going into the second grade and going into the sixth grade, um, they will receive a Bible that is geared towards their reading level. And so the kids are going to get an NIRV and the teens are going to get an NLT, a New Living Translation. And this way they can dive into God's word right where they're at and uh, be able to know it and understand it. It's going to be a great week. Again, we're asking everyone to try to bring someone with you. Um, I'm going to preach a, a message a little bit about the vision and the direction where we're going as a church. And then the following week, August 14th, I'm really excited for, we're kicking off a series on identity. And we're going to look at what does it mean to have our identity really be rooted in Jesus. And how have we often placed our identity in places it shouldn't and the consequences that kind of come from that. I'm really excited for this series. Um, I, I think, I really do believe that God has got a healing work in store for some hearts and lives. Because... Um, Sometimes we have bought into a, a lie of the enemy, and there, there's lies that I believed into my mid-30s of wounds that happened in my past that I didn't even realize were shaping who I was and some of the decisions that I was making. And Christ has come to set us free from those things and for us to be rooted in what he says and not what the enemy says. So I would highly encourage you, don't miss that series. It's, I promise you, I, there's some really great sermon illustrations. In fact, you're going to get to hear in one of the messages how I ended up on a watch list for a while and had to be frisked at airports. So you won't want to miss that. <laughs> but, but that's just a little teaser for, for the future. But anyways, um, we're going to dive in today to the message. And the title of the message today is True Disciples. As Jesus brings us this entire series to a close, what he's really challenging us with is what does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus? And so as we go to him in prayer, let's invite his presence. Father, we come before you. God, we ask that you would take your word and allow it to shape us, to mold us, to make us more like you, Jesus. God, we've been studying through this, this sermon on the mountain. Lord, you've been challenging our hearts. And today, God, I pray one more time that you would call us to live out the kingdom values of our king. That we would stand for truth amidst a culture that, Lord, pushes against us. That we would root and plant our life on a sure foundation because you have great plans for us. We thank you, God. In your name we pray. I want to start this morning by just looking at understanding where we've been to know where we are. Understanding where we've been to know where we are. Um, recapping a little bit just in the beginning, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and what we, we looked at this the very first week. One of the reasons I had you ask each other like a little bit about your childhood best friend is what moves someone from being a acquaintance to being a best friend is those deep conversations, right? There are moments where it's moved from just surface level conversation to a vulnerability and us getting real and open with our life with someone. Sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes that's a bad thing, because some of you, you've got some best friends that like they know way too much dirt on you. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right? But like, but my point is this, is that like, you know, especially if you're thinking from the, like the relationship of a spouse or a best friend, there's a moment where there was a choice that was made that this isn't just going to stay surface level, a hi and bye or a, just a couple, but there was maybe those deep talks. I remember like conversations with some of my friends, it's like 3 a.m. in the morning and you're, you're talking about some of like the most real authentic things about your life, whether it be your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, or even some of the stuff from your past that like no one else knows, and you get vulnerable with them, and it moves it in a different direction. That's what Jesus has been doing for his true disciples with the Sermon on the Mount. He is 
ushering us into a deeper conversation about who he is, who the king is, and the values and the nature of his kingdom. He, he's challenging us and he's bringing us in to what does it mean to really be a follower of Christ? What does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What do the values and the nature of our king and kingdom really look like? He's bringing us into that conversation. And the Sermon on the Mount has been largely that. And it's also been largely what we find an upside down call. Have you noticed that? There are all these messages like there's... As we're reading the words of Jesus, it does not mesh well with what our culture has to say. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. I don't know about you, but when I turned on the news last night, I don't remember seeing that anywhere. <laughs> right? Last time I hopped on social media, I don't remember it blaring going, love your enemies. Right? Right? No, in fact, it's usually the opposite. The culture that we find ourselves in is often very contrary to the culture of the king and his kingdom. And Jesus is bringing us into that. As we looked at the Beatitudes, we looked at what does the character look like of the follower of Christ. There's someone who's poor in spirit, someone who, who mourns over the sin, who realizes I am spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing to bring to the table for my salvation. I need Jesus alone. That goes completely contrary to what our society says in regards to just be a good person, try to do good things. It went on to, Jesus brings us to the next part, that if we're going to be a follower of Christ, we need to make kingdom impact. He challenged us to be both salt and light. I don't know if you know this, but like if you, I hope you do. If you've ever been outside and you flick on a flashlight, it's kind of impossible not to notice that instantaneously you can see that light. Instantaneously you can see it in the midst of the darkness. It stands out. And the point Jesus is making is if we're going to be a follower of Christ, we need to be someone who's making an impact against darkness and making an influence on the culture that surrounds us rather than to be influenced by the culture that surrounds us. He shifted from there to the heart of the law, challenging us with how we deal with anger and forgiveness, how we deal with hatred and lust and jealousy. Challenged us that obedience is the true thermometer of the follower of Christ. And in every step of the way, what Jesus keeps getting to is not just a rule-based religion. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts and, and this. What Jesus keeps reminding us is it's about the heart. Remember, he gets even to start talking about like true spirituality. He talks about giving and praying and fasting, which should be in the life of every believer. But he says, just doing that doesn't please the Father. It's the heart that's behind it. He, he gives the impression, he talks about uh, one of the Pharisees who comes walking in and he's like completely disheveled and just looks terrible and looks like he's trying to give off the impression, I'm fasting the whole, I'm just so hungry because I'm fasting for God, right? It's, a, it's that whole, and, and essentially Jesus is like, dude, go take a shower, comb your hair, throw some cologne on, like make yourself presentable. Don't let other people know. Make the point behind it be about your desire to know the Father more, not about the praise and applause of others. Every step of the way, Jesus keeps getting to the heart of the disciple. And so with Jesus' closing thoughts, what he's challenging us with today is he's saying, now that we've heard all of this, he's revealing to us the difference between true and false disciples. What does it look like to be a true disciple of Jesus. What does it look like to have our lives really be following him with every step? And so he gives us a few instances. And I'm going to break it down into three things. A disciple of Jesus has got to make a choice. A disciple of Jesus has to stand for truth. And a disciple of Jesus has to choose obedience. So let's look at those from the illustrations he gives. Now, first, he talks about the gate. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life, it's very narrow. And the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Jesus is challenging saying that true disciples have made a choice in understanding that there's going to be a pull from this world. Um, 
Number one, whenever we look at this, what we need to understand is in regards to the gate that he's talking about here is it's specifically, it's definitely talking about Jesus. Jesus later in the Gospel of John, he's going to say, I am the gate. And he's also going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? We see that. We, we know that. And what we're, Jesus is challenging every disciple is the fact that I am the gate. The only way to the Father, the only way to salvation is through me and absolutely nothing else at all. I don't know if you know this, but Christianity is the most inclusive religion in the world. Doesn't matter if you're a man, doesn't matter if you're a woman, doesn't matter if you're poor, doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're from any type of tribal descent, doesn't matter your, your race, doesn't matter your culture, doesn't matter how you're raised, doesn't matter your grow up, doesn't matter your past. Everything is put on the table and none of it matters but coming to Christ. Paul, when he's writing to Galatians, he tells him, he says, there is, in Christ, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no slave, there is no free, there is no man, there is no, it, it is, we are one in Christ. All are welcome to the table. In fact, Jesus said, go to the ends of the, the earth, go everywhere, to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, take the gospel. There is no one who is excluded from Christianity. But it's also at the same moment, the most exclusive religion. What I mean by that is there is only one way in, and it's Jesus. It's not your good works. It's not your efforts. It's not your abilities. It's not what you can do or accomplish. It's not your past, nor is it your future. It's not like on, on the day of judgment that any of us can go up there and be like, well, God, you know, I was a really good person. Every single Monday, I took my trash right to the curb. So, like, it would be really easy for them to pick it up. I, I make it a habit every single day. I, I, help, I help people across the street who can't really do it. Anytime I see lead, litter, I pick it up. Listen to me. Nothing, nothing, there is no aspect of your salvation that has anything to do with your good works. It has everything to do with what you've done with Jesus. Not your good works, not your personality, no matter how nice it is. Not your calling, your giftings, your potential, or your accomplishments. Not your efforts, your intentions, or even your actions. It's what did you do with Jesus? All are invited, but all must come the same way through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's a second aspect to this choice. And it's dealing with the choice of how will you live your life? Jesus is dealing also with how do we view the commands of God and the kingdom values that he has just laid out with the Sermon on the Mount. He talks here and he says, you know, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell, it's broad and its gate is wide for many that choose that way. He says, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few find it. See, that broad gate represents the fact that it's a focus on my wants, my rights, my desires, my urges, what I think God should be like and what he should do. This is the road that bends faith and religion to bring them in alignment to my present day, my age, or my culture so that it fits what I want. Israel did this all throughout their history. Idolatry is where they would craft a God into the image that they wanted to accomplish what they wanted, to get them what they wanted. It was a God that served their urges and their desires. Can I tell you something? It's still alive and beats in our heart today. You want to know why our, and we're going to talk about this a ton in our identity series. You want to know why right now we live in a society that is so angry, so frustrated, so full of anxiety, so full of all these different things. One of the reasons why is because we've made my desire my God. Whatever I desire, that is who I am and that is my God. And, it's gonna, and I need to create a God that serves my desires. And so we, we pursue that. But how many of you also know that our desires change in just a moment? <laughs> they change all throughout your lifetime. There's things that you absolutely pursued and desired as a younger person that now you look at those things and you're like, whew, <laughs> no thank you, right? I mean, come on. 
There's things from your past that, like you, that were so important to your life that aren't even remotely important to your life anymore, right? I used to love like heavy metal music and being in the mosh pits and like all this kind of, listen to me, I drive by a concert now that's like that stuff and I'm just like, ugh, <laughs> right? Like there's like, I, I just, but because it's not there anymore. It's changed, it's been shaped, it's been different. But if my God is my desires, I've got a huge problem. Okay, what Jesus is challenging us is this, is that, listen, what's the gate? And that part of the gate is the fact is what and who are you going to live for? If I try to take my culture and bend my faith to fit it, I have changed God and he is not who he is. And I am serving something that is an idol. This is not something new. This has happened throughout all of Christian and church history. Happened with the early church whenever many tried to deny the resurrection of the dead. They tried to twist the truth to fit what they wanted. And Paul goes, no, you can't do that. Happened in the Middle Ages with a focus on wealth over true spirituality. In the 19th century, there was an attempt to deny in the Christian church miracles of the Bible to reconcile it with science. And today, it's watering down God's word in the wake of gender, sexuality, and the sanctity of life. It's a rejection and a, a call to obedience and the discipline and the life of the disciple. The best way I can think of it is in regards to like a funnel, okay? So think of a funnel with this way. This is what Jesus is saying. He, he challenges us. He says, okay, if we're thinking about the narrow gate, when you use a funnel, like there's one end that's big and there's one end that's small, right? So you've got like the big end and the small end. And, and if you're thinking about it this way, if we make Christianity look like this so the world comes in through the big end, what does that do? It looks like come to Jesus just as you are and don't worry, he'll never ask you to change a thing. Jesus is really cool. He's really popular, everyone. You really need to like him and blah, 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 blah. And then what happens though? If they come in and they're bought on that, as they come into Christianity and as they start reading the Bible, what happens? It starts getting tight. Well, what do I do? That command, they told me that Jesus would never, ever ask me to change anything. But Jesus says, here, I'm supposed to come and die. Right? And suddenly it's like, I want out. You realize what Jesus does, though, with all of his followers and disciples, he goes, no, no, no. The gate, the beginning is narrow. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, if any man, if anyone were to come after me, they have to deny themselves, take up their cross, they have to die to themselves and follow me. I don't know about you, but that is not the easiest way to get a crowd. <laughs> All right? You want to follow after me, you got to die. <laughs> right? Like, no, no. That's not like the, the winning statement. Like, if you're a salesman, you don't lead with that. If you would like to buy my vacuum cleaner, you must die. Right? No, like, you don't, you don't lead in with that. But the truth is that the kingdom is like that. Jesus says, if you will start here and realize that I have to be everything and not something. If it starts at the narrow gate, then what happens is when you enter through that narrow gate, it opens up to true life. Then suddenly I see the absolute immense beauty of obedience. See, to the world, we hear the call that I'm supposed to sacrifice myself, my wants, my desires for the sake of other people. That I'm supposed to see you as more important than me. And the world goes, that's crazy. But when you enter through the narrow gate and suddenly you lay down your rights and you serve the others, as you serve their, with love and kindness and grace towards them, suddenly you see a beauty that they can never even fathom. Because the truth is this. The closest relationship that you have where the love has blossomed the most is also the relationship you have sacrificed the most. There's a direct connection to the two that does not make sense to the outside world. But when we enter through the narrow gate, the blessings are more than we can even possibly imagine. So the first thing that Jesus challenges us with is with our choice. What are we going to decide about Jesus and what are we going to decide by the way we live? But the second one that he challenges us with is what do we do with truth? And he does this by talking about a tree and fruit. Read with me from verse 15 in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but who are really vicious wolves. I want you to just pause for a moment and think of that word picture he just gave you. 
right? Don't bypass that. Jesus goes, there is some who are going to come into your midst that they're going to attempt to look like you, but they're not. Think of a, a nice little happy sheep pen. They're all, you know, it's late at night. They're like, right? They're having their time of day. Everyone's happy. All the sheep are like, you know, frolicking through the fields. Everything's good. But then one that looks a little different starts walking in. It's a wolf with sheepskin just draped all over it. What's that wolf's goal? I'm going to take out as many of these sheep as I can. I'm going to eat them. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to kill them. Jesus goes, hey, there are some like that that are coming. He says, you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so can you identify people by their actions. The challenge here is a challenge that comes from an attack from within. This isn't from the outside culture. This, isn't, this is from a challenge of will you as a disciple stay rooted to truth? Will you stay rooted to what God's word says, or will you bend it to what you want? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here in 2 Timothy. This is quite possibly the last book that he writes. He pins these letters to Timothy, his son in the faith. This is someone that he loves, that he cares about deeply. These are also realizing he, he knows that this could be days before he is dead. And so these words mean something to the Apostle Paul. They're passionate. And he says this. He says, I solemnly urge you. So not just like, hey, I think you should maybe try this. <laughs> Paul's going, hey, Timothy, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Listen to verse 3. For a time is coming. When people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, they will follow their own what? Their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Paul is saying, listen to me, Timothy. You need to be equipped. You need to know truth because a time is coming when those of the faith, those who are, who are like, they call themselves to be Christians, he says they're going to reject truth and ha this is how they're going to do it. They're not going to be like, God's not real. They're not going to be like, I reject Christianity. What are they going to do? They're going to sprinkle spirituality on top of their desire. Well, this is what I want, and this is how I would like God to be. Now, I know his word doesn't say that, and I know it doesn't agree with that, but I'll go find someone who will tell me that that's the case. And so then that way, I'm still, I'm still in it. I'll just sprinkle a little bit of Christianity, sprinkle a little bit of spirituality, sprinkle all of it onto my desire, so my desire is still king, my desire is still God, but I'm going to find other people who affirm what I want to necessarily believe in. And in doing so, it says, they will reject the truth, chase after myths. Imagine if people in your life, um, rejected some of the truth about you. Right? There's certain things about my life that are core to me. Some of you in this room, uh, I've used this illustration before, you are musicians, and so you love music. It's passionate to your heart. And um, imagine if I were to start speaking directly against that part of you. I'd be like, you know what? I think every musician that's ever been born is just an absolute idiot. <laughs> right? Suddenly, there'd be a part of rage that would come up in you because, like, I'm speaking against, like, part of something that, that matters to you, or, or imagine like I walked up to you and I started speaking against your children. 
<laughs> there's some mama bears in the room that are like, you haven't even said anything yet, and I'm thinking about punching you, Pastor. Right? <laughs> They're like, I can see it in your faces. There's moms that are like, just you say something about my kids. You know, like, like honestly, no. So if we take some of the truth of who God is, and we're like, oh, okay, I just kind of, I, I don't like that, so I reject that. I, I'm still a follower of him, but, like, I don't like that, so it's just, it's just not true for me. That'd be like me going, hey, I really, really like you, but when we hang out, I'm not a big fan of your kids. Can you just make them disappear? <laughs> That's a problem. That's what we're talking about here. This is, this, they, they have rejected the truth, and they have embraced it by sprinkling spirituality on their desires. Their itching ears want to hear. Listen to me. That's what sin is, and I, and I need you to understand this. Sin is not... The breaking a command. You're like, wait a second, Pastor. <laughs> Let me prove it to you. Watch. When did the law come? With Moses. He came down off the mountain. He had the Ten Commandments and he brought the law of God to God's people. But God says in Scripture he was holding people guilty of sin before the law ever came. You trace it all the way back to Adam and Eve. This wasn't some happenstance moment where they just accidentally grabbed the wrong fruit. It wasn't like they were meandering through the garden trying to look for a banana and they grabbed the wrong thing and we're now in the mess that we're in. Okay? Their choice, and you look at the deception, they, it was this. It was, I'm a better God than God. The enemy, he said to them, listen, if you'll just take of this, you no longer have to be just the created. You'll be like the creator. You can be God. All sin is that way. All sin is cosmic trees. And all sin is looking at the values of God and saying, who you are and what you value is worthless to me. I'll do it my own way. I am a better God than you are. Now, the reason that I tell you that and the reason that we realize that is that whenever we go down this route, when I'm searching and trying to find things and people to agree with what my itching ears want to hear, I'm really serving my wants, my desires, and my urges are king, not King Jesus. It's a reshaping and reforming of who God is that moves him from who he has declared himself to be, and now I'm trying to shape him for who I want him to be. And there's three reasons why we do this. There's three reasons why we will accept false teaching. And the first is this. It's the desire to blend in and to compromise truth so that we don't have to stand out from society. It's a pull. I don't want to be different. I don't want to, but God called you to be salt and light. You ever tasted food that wasn't seasoned right? Seasoning makes a big difference. You have that right, perfect seasoning that you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Chicken moves from being chicken to chicken, right? You know, some of you, you, you've had to eat terrible food for years. Now, just look straight at me. I'm going to keep you safe. If, if it's your spouse that's the cause of it, just look at pastor and they'll never know that they think it's you, right? right? But, but, but hear me, listen to me. There, there's a distinct difference between the two. And that's what God is saying is he's saying, for my followers, there should be a distinct difference. The second reason we accept false teaching is we choose to ignore truth because we want to live for our desires. But notice what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are those who mourn for their sin. They repent, not celebrate it. If I choose to live towards my desires, the result is death. And the third reason is, maybe it's we just don't know the truth. Because we haven't put it in us. That's dangerous. I'm not going to do this, so just everybody hang with me for a second. But imagine if I wanted to mess with my youngest son, Calvin, and I was like, hey, buddy, two plus two equals five. <laughs> right? No, seriously, right? I take something, and I just bend it just a little bit. I'm only off one. <laughs> right? Hey, Calvin, two plus two equals five. And I start teaching him all these wrong things about math. And then I send him to go build a house. You know how much math is needed to build a house? Can you imagine if we just threw out the truth of the laws of math and decided, let's wing it? 
Doesn't matter if it's three-fourths, three-eighths, or two feet. <laughs> Guess what? That is going to be one janky-looking house, <laughs> and it is not going to be safe to be in. Why? Because it wasn't built on truth, right? The truth was bent in the process of creating it, and it is not going to stand the storm we had last week. You know what I'm talking about, right? It took out trees left and right, and that house is coming down. One of the reasons, though, that we can be fed a lie and believe in false teaching is because we didn't put the truth in us to begin with. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who say, God, I need more of you. Put your truth in me. And Jesus tells us the test is that you can see it. In other words, he's saying, is the person's life displaying, revealing, and growing in what the Sermon on the Mount has been talking about? You can see it. Test it. The third thing is this. True disciples obey. Verse 21 it says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and we performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. John Stott said it this way. This is talk without truth, profession without reality, and it will not save them on the day of judgment. It's a call to obedience. I want to tell you, I want to read to you just, or tell you a little bit about an interesting story from Acts chapter 19. This is starting in verse 11. It says, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. And when handkerchiefs or aprons that merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews who were traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits, they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. So you've got these seven sons of this Sceva who, who are going around and they're literally saying to like evil spirit, they're trying to use Jesus. They're mixing, they're sprinkling some religion and some Christianity on what they're like. Oh, I, it worked for them, so let me try to work it for me. So they go up to this, this guy who's demon possessed, right? And they're, they're like, hey, in the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And the demon looks at him and he goes, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Well, who are you? Right? You know what happened to them? They were beat naked. You want to talk about a bad day? <laughs> Seven of you get beat up and you leave naked. Right? That's a bad day. Right? I don't know about you, but like that's not jotted down on Monday. Like, here's what I would like to do. Get beat by a demon-possessed guy and then like leave naked. Like, like honestly, like that's but but here's the thing. They were trying to sprinkle their little bit of like Christianity onto the fact of what they really wanted to believe. And the demons are like, well, you don't even serve him. Who are you? Jesus' confession on that day is different than their confession. Listen to what John Stott has to say about this. He says, the reason for the, their rejection by him being Jesus is that their profession was verbal but not moral. It concerned their lips only but had nothing to do with their life. They called Jesus Lord, Lord, but they never submitted to his lordship or obeyed the will of his heavenly father. Luke's version of this saying is actually even stronger still. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you. The vital difference is between saying and doing. How can you call someone Lord but then go, you have zero authority over my life. True disciples obey. Listen to me. Who is Jesus to you? He can't be an add-on. It's not like he can, it's not like our phones where like we, Jesus is just another app that we can add on. Right? Like there's all the times I need something and I'll download an app for it. Right? <laughs> I need to figure this out. I don't know how to do it. So I pull up and listen to me. Jesus is not the app. Jesus is the phone. He's everything. He can't be something. He has to have dominion and authority over everything. He cannot be an add-on to our life. He cannot be the genie in the bottle that we pull out whenever we need something. Like rub the lamp, Jesus... I, I could really use something right now. That, that is not who he is. 
He cannot be religion and spirituality that's just sprinkled onto your life, to your already formed beliefs, and just affirms what you want to know. The call of Jesus is total life surrender, that he would be everything and not just something. See, we need to remember the audience. There was two circles. As, as the Sermon on the Mount begins, what we, we heard is that Jesus preaches this message to his disciples, but we know that the crowd was also present. So the picture you get is like there's this inner circle of the disciples that are near him, but then there's the crowd that's there, and their motivations for being there are, are vastly different. But the hope of Jesus is what he is saying to his disciples will get into the crowd and challenge them to move from crowd to disciple. And the question I think for us today is this, is which circle are you and I in? See, for the crowd, they were there for the miracles. They were there longing to see or receive something. They were totally down with feeding 5,000 Jesus. They're like, more fish, more bread for free? Come on, you throw a free lunch and everybody shows up. Right, that's why we have food at church. <laughs> right, you know. Like, it's honestly, you throw just a little bit out there and the people come running. And it's, it's just, just the truth. It's the truth. And that, so you've got the crowd who are like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if he's going to do that feeding thing again. That was kind of cool, right? <laughs> They're there to receive. The disciples are there because he has the words of life. Jesus was something to the crowd, but he wasn't everything. But to the disciple, they were those who had heard and who had responded to his call, come follow me. To them, Jesus had the words of life. So what is the challenge to us in regards to these warnings? It's bookended by two truths. The persistence of the disciple and the call to build on a sure foundation. Let's look at the call to, of persistence. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, for everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Your parents, you parents, if your child asks for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Though that would be funny. Um, or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not, he says. So if you sinful people know to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask for him? Now, here's what I need you to grab onto for just a second. These verses, as with all of Scripture, must be taken in context. Context is key. See, if you try to grab these verses and snatch them out of where they're located and out of the Sermon on the Mount, you can make them mean a lot of things that they don't mean at all. The prosperity gospel has done this. The prosperity gospel has pulled these out and they're like, hey, you can ask of anything and it will be given to you. So pray, like, like you know, boom, let me, God, I, I don't have a Corvette. <laughs> right? I don't, newsflash, your pastor ain't getting a Corvette. Right? right? Like, I can pray for it and I can believe it. it it's just it's not going to happen unless God... If you want God, so be it. Um, but anyway, my point is this, is what we need to understand is that where these are found and where they're located is what they are literally saying to you is this. If you ask of God for the things in the Sermon on the Mount, will he not give them to you? God, can you help me be poor in spirit? Got a hunger and thirst for your righteousness. God, make me salt and light that I can make a kingdom impact. God, would you take my heart and as I pray, make it more like you so that your kingdom come and your will be done. Can I just tell you something? Any person in the history of the world who has ever prayed, God, I want to know you more. Will you help me? Never once has he not answered that prayer. He won't. But there's a level here that Jesus also challenges the disciple with. As he says this, it's a call to what? Persistence. Keep on praying. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Do not rely on the relationship you had with Jesus three years ago. Or three weeks ago. Or three days ago. Jesus, I need you today. God, will you grow in my heart today? These verses, they're about that. 
a persistence in prayer. Listen to what D.A. Carson has to say. He says, this asking is an asking for the virtues Jesus has just expounded. This seeking is a seeking for God. This knocking is a knocking at heaven's throne room. It is a divinely empowered response to God's open invitation. And it's this, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. So it starts this section with a call to persistence. You and I, we need to be growing. But secondly, it ends with a call to obedience. Verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey, it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, and when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it's going to collapse with a mighty crash. The chief characteristic of the follower of Jesus is obedience. He gives us two pictures, two houses. I don't know about you, but like on my 10-year plan, nowhere is it rebuild my house. (laughs) I'm just being honest. I'm like, I'm not looking for that next storm that's going to just completely destroy everything that I own and wash it away completely, and I'm left there with absolutely nothing standing in the rubble of what once was. No one's life, like no one's life plan is like, you know what, I just want to be absolutely wrecked by my choices and my desires and like have everyone that I love turn against me and then me turn against them and like everything be absolutely shipwrecked and my house of my life be burnt to the ground. No one... No one wants that, but can I tell you something? What you build on will determine that. And it's because of his great love for you, he challenges us with this. What are you building on? Are you building it on your wants, your desires, the pervasive doctrine of our culture and day? Or are you basing it on God's true word and on Jesus and on his foundation? You need to understand the heart of God. Because as Jesus brings the sermon to the close, the heart of God is once again revealed. And it's this, eternity is longer and more significant than the present. Eternity is longer and more significant than the present. Eternity is at stake. If you decide to live your entire life saying, I'm Lord, Can I tell you something? Eternally, you will also determine and say, I will also choose to try to be my own God and be eternally separated from it. That's truth. The heart of God does not want that. The heart of God is to seek and save all who are lost. But secondly, Jesus tells us all these things because he knows the reality of what's coming. I promise you I'm almost done. I'm wrapping this up. I don't know a lot about your life, but this I do know, and I can promise you this, and you know it's true, but we don't like to talk about it. Pain is coming, right? It is. I wish I could say to you that for the rest of your life, knowing that you love, knowing that you care about at all is going to die or pass away or that there's not going to be any blah, blah, but none of us in this room are stupid enough to believe that. Pain's coming. That's the nature of the life that we live in this broken, fallen world. But we serve a king who one day is going to flip all that on his head. And he will wipe away every tear from our eye. There'll be no more, no more sorrow, no more pain. That all will be made right in his presence. But we are not there yet. And so for now, we live in this time where there is real brokenness. And because of that, Jesus knows this. Listen to me. Do you remember the story we just read? There's two houses. I'm promising you, the rain is coming. Jesus does not end the Sermon on the Mount like this. My dear followers who are disciples, come follow after me and the rains and the storms of life will never beat upon your house. No, no, no. That is not how the ending story is. He says, no, build your house on me and on my teaching because the rain is coming. The pain is coming. 
the disappointment is coming, the tragedy, the loss, it's coming, it's going to eventually be on its way. And when the pressure of this life comes around you, will you stand or will you fall? And it will be determined on what you have planted upon. The solid rock of Jesus, or on my will, my desires, what I want. It's a challenge. And the reason he gives us this challenge, please hear me today, is listen, he loves you. Oh, he loves you. Will you stand with me this morning? I'm going to bring the lights down as I... I want to tell you just for a second a little bit about my desire for my kids. I pray for their future. I pray for their future spouses. I pray for the things that they're going to face, the things that they're going to go through. Dad's heart beats for my kids. Okay? And if I watched someone come into their life who is a con man, trying to sell them on a bill of goods, or who is directly intentionally leading them towards destruction, what do you think dad's going to do? Right? Oh, there's a rage that comes, right? Come on. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like moms and dads in the room, there's like a part of your heart that suddenly you see someone who is coming directly against one of your kids. And it's like, <laughs> it's go time. Right? <laughs> I'm being dead serious. Right? Jesus loves you so much. He knows the plan of the enemy that every single moment of your life, that when you even have a remote aspect of spiritual growth, that the enemy wants to come in and try to grab hold of that. And see, how many of you have ever experienced one of the worst weeks of your life right after God did something amazing? Come on, right? That is not coincidence. That is something that happens. And one of the reasons it happens is because God's great love for us is to grow us closer to him. And then when the enemy sees us even remotely trying to do that, he comes like a whirlwind against that. Listen to me. I want my kids running in freedom and finishing the race well. And so does your father in heaven. And so he ends the Sermon on the Mount saying, get out of the crowd and be a disciple. Because if you're in the crowd when the rain comes and the torrent and the wind beats against your life, there's going to be a crash. But if you're in Christ, I don't care what comes your way. It might be death. It might be loss. It might be pain. Let me put it this way. You look at the life of Joseph during the years that his life looked like it was the more of a mess than ever before. What the enemy thought he was going, oh, I've got him right where I want him. God was going, oh, don't you dare. I can spin it for good. The darkest moment in all of human history, the king of kings, arms outstretched, breathing his last on a tree. The enemy's going, I've got it. God goes, oh, just you wait. Because he will breathe again. And all who will put their faith in him will also breathe again. You might go through some things, but God can take it and he can turn it and he can spin it for his glory if you'll let him. We're going to see that in our next series on identity. We're going we're gonna to see how God can take some of the biggest wounds that you have in your life and he can spin it for his good. I'm going to share some very brutal, honest things even from my own life that I've watched God do that in me and things that like the enemy meant for evil and God was like, whoop, nope. I'm going to weaponize it against you. And we're going to see that. But here's what I want to do. If every head would be bowed and every eye would be closed. I just want us to respond to this message today. I'm pleading with you as your pastor. Find any area of your heart that longs to stay in the crowd and instead take a step closer as disciple. Maybe for you, the hard part right now is the challenge of choice. 
whether that's making a choice about who Jesus is or who is king, me or my desires. Maybe it's the challenge of truth. Maybe it's the challenge of obedience. Maybe there's an area that you know, that you know, that you know that he's calling you to obey, but you're fighting it. True disciples, they've made a choice about Jesus, how they're going to live their life. They've made a complete decision that I want my life to be surrendered to truth and the call and the decision, God, I'm going to obey you. Now listen, that does not mean perfection. Please hear your pastor's heart. (laughs) I'm not saying that from this moment forward that you're going to live in perfection and never make a mistake. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is you have decidedly said the word of God is what runs my life, not my choice, not my desires. And when I find my life outside of that, I will repent and run home. Today, I believe God's wanting to do something in each and every one of us. Father, I pray that right now for every person in this room that you're speaking to in this moment, Holy Spirit, I pray this would be a sacred moment. That God, we would respond with hungry hearts, hearts desiring to make you our king and saying, God, I want to be I want to be a more devoted follower of Jesus. God, I want to I want to pursue you with every ounce of my being. God, I pray that you would challenge our hearts to be more like you, that you would call us closer to you, Jesus. And that, God, you would do a work inside each and every one of us. In just a second, Red's going to lead us in this song, Build My Life. But here's how I'd like to end. If you just feel the Holy Spirit leading you today and you know, hey, there's an area I need to step into. There's something that's going on in my life. Or maybe it's a family member, someone that you're praying and you're interceding and you're lifting up on on behalf of them. I would like for you to respond today. No one's going to make you. I'm not asking you for you to raise your hand, but this is all I I want you to. There's something about a physical response that creates power in our life where we take a step forward and say, no, 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 I've made a decisive decision. I'm going after Jesus more fully. And if today you feel God, you felt the Holy Spirit whisper in you, hey, maybe it's an area of choice. Maybe it's an area in regards to truth, or maybe it's an area of obedience, or maybe again, it's someone that's in your life that you're interceding before. I want to encourage you just to come find a place at the altar. And as we sing this song, we're praying that walls would fall. We are praying that we would, each one of us, have a desire to be, God, would you grow me to know you more, to hunger for you more? Some of the most important moments of my entire life have been that walk from my chair to a place of surrender saying, God, I want more of you. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to respond as Red leads us, and then I'm going to pray over all of us, and then we'll dismiss here in just a little bit. But I don't want you to miss this opportunity. This could be your moment. This could be something you look back on many, many years later and you remember that moment that I responded. I said, God, I want to move even more fully to be a closer follower and disciple of you. So as he just starts singing, respond.